And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, space is the place, and the sky is the limit. And I totally got that out of order, but yeah, we're going to roll with it. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction, and you just saw some of that on display. But uh, without further ado, we are here for one of our famous fireside chats. And I'm going to let you see who's here today. We've got the uh, the Brady Bunch panel going. So we're going to let people introduce themselves first. So we've got Michael Gallagher. Can you tell us who you are if people haven't heard of you? Uh, sure. My name is uh, Mike Gallagher. I uh, uh, just published my debut novel, uh, Body and Blood, this August. And I also write reviews and report on science fiction, fantasy, culture, and uh, happenings at upstreamreviews.substack.com. All right. Next, we have Miss Jody Lynn Nye. Can you introduce yourself, please? I'm Jody Lynn Nye. I write science fiction and fantasy books and short stories. I used to write uh, book recommendations for Galaxy. Uh, Gal- <laughs> oh my God, it's been long enough. Um, Galaxy's Edge magazine, and I'm currently the coordinating judge for the Writers of the Future contest. And I teach writers workshops at various conventions, especially Dragon Con, where uh, I turn off 20 victims at a time in my uh, two-day writer workshop. I'm sure they enjoyed every minute of it. Next, we have Mr. Steve Diamond. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Steve Diamond. I'm a fantasy, science fiction, and primarily horror author for Bane, Wordfire Press, and a bunch of other people, game companies and stuff. Uh, I used to run Elitist Book Reviews. I was the I'm the one that founded that that book review site, and so uh, I've I've written my share of reviews in the in the past, just once or twice. Uh, one year I counted all the words I wrote for reviews, and it was like 130,000 words. That was when I realized I should be writing like novels instead, because uh, yeah. those were, <laughs> so well allegedly. So. Uh, yeah, so here I am. It's good to be back with y'all. Absolutely. We like having you back. And then we've got Mr. Ben Espin. Espin. Wow, I butchered that one. I blame Doc. If you think about it, by, by being here, it's her fault. No. <laughs> ben, can you introduce yourself, please? Of course, Jar. Hi, I'm Ben Espin. Uh, I blog at With Both Hands. It's benespin.com. And I probably have one of the more unusual set of interests on the internet. So I write a lot of sci-fi and fantasy reviews, but I've got a whole section of my blog devoted to cyclical theories of history like Oswald Spengler. I like to call it Spengler with a smile. And I also do occasionally, you know, science cocktail party theories, which is the kind of thing you might not write a paper about, but you talk to people about at a party. Okay. No wonder you like, he's a history nerd like you. That, that actually All sounds the cool people are history nerds. All the cool people are history nerds. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Doc. Uh, and then, so if you if you didn't guess, dear listener, because I forgot to tell you, the uh, fireside chat topic today is book reviews. Uh, we've been meaning to do this since before we rebranded, oh, three years ago. Uh, but life happens; it does that sometimes. Um, and that I'm sure was somehow Doc's fault too, even when it happened before she got on the podcast. But you know but what? In absentia, it was her fault. Not my fault that you know I have a life. Wait, no, I don't have a life. <laughs> well, you have a convention life that counts. So I go to conventions and then allegedly I say somebody with a life. 
So I'm going to assume that everybody here, if you're writing book reviews, are passionate readers. So we're going to go around the table, and I'm going to ask you all, what was your first memory of reading a grown-up novel? Anything sort of YA or higher, you know, chapter books? Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Ben. We're going to go around, around Robin. Hmm. It might be The King's Fifth by Scott O'Dell. Really? Yeah, it's, a, it's this really interesting story set in the, you know, the Spanish Southwest of a guy who's looking for the, the the city of gold. Was it fiction or nonfiction? That's it's fiction, but it's, you know, I, I live here in the American Southwest and it's, you know, he, he did his research on that one. It was pretty good. It's very realistic fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then because I like the, the circles, we're going to go backwards instead of clock counterclockwise. We're going to ask Jody. So what was the first book you remember reading? Adult book, I should say, or like chapter. Oh, that's that is very tough to say because I read everything totally indiscriminately. Whatever happened to be in the library, whatever happened to be in our house, so it um, it might have been something like I owe Russia twelve hundred dollars, or uh, <laughs> whatever happened to be on my mother's bookshelf, um, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. There, there's. Uh, there are a lot of possible suspects, and I'm not sure which one predated what, because I started okay. reading very early. And as I said, I grabbed anything that I could, and if I could sound out the words or I could figure out what they meant in context, I read it. Okay. What about you, Michael? Um, well, the first book I really remember, uh, my dad read voraciously, and he had just boxes and boxes of paperbacks. And I remember uh, just going through a tattered anthology of H.P. Lovecraft stuff and just getting totally hooked by, by his literature. I, that that was more like an anthology, though. If you want to talk like single title, I remember waiting in line at college for the financial aid office uh, down in New York City, uh, where that sort of thing was like an all day affair at the beginning of the semester. So I brought along a copy of Fahrenheit 451. And read it while I waited to get up to the window. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and I would in a Lovecraft anthology as adult reading. Yeah, I yeah, would. but like I wasn't sure if like a bunch of short stories counted, so I figured I'd have both. Short of those stories are kind of chapters in of themselves. Yep. All right. So. What about you? What about you, Steve? Ooh. You know, this would have been, you know, late '80s. So probably, you know, I was like nine or 10. And so it was probably either Book of Three by Lloyd Alexander hmm. or, uh, you know, probably, you know, Lion, Lewis in the Wardrobe sort of thing, or it was Sword of Shannara. Um, all all three of, of those were kind of at the same time. My, my mom was a big fantasy reader and kind of like Jody was whatever was on the shelves, right? And so... Um, I remember seeing those books on the shelves and, and obviously Sword of Shannara was, was the most impressive because it was giant at the time. Um, Still pretty big. It's, yeah. it's a big book. And I remember seeing it and thinking, man, I want to read that book someday. Hmm. Uh, and then one day I just pulled it down and started reading it. Um, you know, probably far too young to be reading some of that stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, and then right after that, and I went right from from Sword of Shannon right into Elfstones, which is probably one of the books that that I cite as is, is shaping me into the horror author that I am today. So, 
all that nice. right there. And and Seska, since you've joined the world of scary book talk on TikTok stuff, all the newfangled kid technology, I'm going to ask you the same question. What was the first grown-up book you uh, you remember? I'm going to treat you like a guest today. Uh, uh, the, my first one is the Anne McCaffrey's The Rowan. That's so. a big book. So how old were you when you when you t tackled that? I was in sixth grade, and I was okay. homesick. My mother thought that I was uh, faking it, so she handed me a book and told me to read the first chapter, and then I, I could watch TV. I, For the record, that is a very long book. It's like, at the time, sixth grade, 350 pages, if I recall correctly. There's only three chapters in the book. <laughs> One of those. That was an interesting organizational well, well, choice. Power moved by mom. Well, it, it actually makes wow. sense because part of this part of the original story, and Jody can correct me because she knew Anne better than I did, was originally done as a uh, short story. One of the chapters was originally a short story, which is why I, I went, you know, an anthology is basically self-standing short chapters because mm -hmm. several of Anne's books started as short stories and moved or no, into. Or or novellas, yes. Though I've never really understood the... I know there's a length difference, but other than that, you know, I'm female. They kept telling me this was six inches in school. Okay. <laughs> Gonna be one of those shows. So how did you guys go from, you know, reading those awesome stories to deciding, you know what, I want to review them and share my thoughts with everyone. And we'll start with you in the bottom, Steve, and we'll go clockwise this time well mine was purely self-interest and selfishness uh i uh i decided that i wanted to write that i wanted to be an author and and i'd been talking to some friends of mine um who at the time weren't as intensely popular as they are today uh but now are like your famous like, co-host uh, no like brandon sanderson um and uh Cause, cause I met him when he, you know, he and I were became friends, right. When he, when he was nominated for the, the Campbell award back in 2006. And so uh, we went to a con together. We went to Worldcon down in LA and he was there, you know, I was there, he was there. Um, our friend Dan Wells was there who turned out to be a fairly big deal author now too. And we were all talking about stuff and, and it was right around then that I decided I wanted to be an author and they, and they said, well, it's pretty rough approaching people at cons and, and stuff, you know, they, they hear it from authors all the time. Well, so right after that, I decided to start a book review site and uh, I figured if I can't, if, if it's, if it's hard to approach someone at a con and I saw how it was, I thought, well, maybe if I go up to, to these same editors, these same publicists, these same authors, and I say, Hey, I'm a book reviewer. Um, maybe it'd be an easier in, and then I could, I could wear him down, you know, slowly and surely like the plague. And then, uh, and sure enough, it worked. I mean, that's how I met Tony Weisskopf over at Bain. Um, I met her through the book review site and that's how I met Larry Korea, my co-host on writer dojo and, and my co-author, one of my best friends. The, that's how I met all these people. And, and so that's why it, it was to make these contact. Basically I was playing the long con, right? Okay. Nicely done. I, I can appreciate the huckle. All right. So what about you, Michael? Um, mine is, uh, you know, uh, no pressure on a follow-up there. Um, 
I, I, I actually was um, I was just about to publish my book, um, and leading up to it, I had sort of met a couple of um, superversive guys on social media. One of them was Declan, and we had kind of befriended each other. I wound up having to to delay launching my book for a while, and in the lull that that happened there, I was like, "Look, man, you know, I need to do something." And he's like, "Well, that's." cool because i happen to run this site and we need more reviewers so he's like here's a bunch of books and you know <laughs> it, it, it's uh not very um glamorous but that's just kind of how i fell into it and um i learned a lot through that uh, and I'm, I'm still learning uh with every um e-arc i open <clears throat> jr are you paying attention i'm done i was i just forgot i was muted um, so Jody, what was, what was it that made you decide to write reviews on your end? Shahid Mahmood asked me, he, uh, was changing his reviewers and he knew that I read voraciously. My husband also, um, Bill and I each have our nose in books all the time. So, uh, they, he offered us, uh, the gig. So we thought, Hey, that would be fun. I guess it was about eight years ago. We did it for four years and we really enjoyed it, but he actually made us rename our column because it was supposed to be book reviews, but we never published reviews of something we didn't like. So he started, he said, you, we have to call it book recommendations from now on because you're not, uh, you're, you're not putting up books that you dislike. And we said, well, why would we waste why would we waste column space on books we don't like? Seems to be a tack a lot of people are taking uh, now because we actually have a similar policy too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've always done that with sci-fi shenanigans and with blasters and blades is because there's enough negative in the world. We mm -hmm. don't need to add to it. Yeah. We can be constructive and we can be positive. Well, so I will say having been to her house, her house is like a heaven for a book reader. Everywhere you go, there's books. There, there are books in every room, literally every room. Every room, I've checked. But we have, we have a library downstairs and lots and lots and lots. But if, if I were putting uh, reviews online, I might put up some of the books I don't like, but as long as it's being committed to pages and there are only so many in a magazine, that was, it seemed to be a no brainer for, for us. So we did that as well. We do it partly because if it's, if it's a book we don't like, we just generally don't finish it. And it's not really fair to review a book you didn't finish. So that's sort of been our policy too. And like, like Doc said, there's enough negativity in the world. We have made exceptions and this gets me hate mail still for a, ooh, for an interview review of Starship Troopers I did in 2016. Um, but for classics, I think it's fair. Excuse me. I have uh, to leave the stream right now. I <laughs> I made the mistake of saying I thought as an action story that the movie was better than the book. I still get hate. Um, but I, I just, I never considered Starship Troopers an actual novel. It felt more like a political treatise, which was interesting. I read those too, but anyway. Um, so that's not a bad policy. I, I, I think that's probably smart. Like, you know, just reviewing the good stuff. But what about you, Ben? So the rest of us, you know, we did it because we were surrounded by the book space, either as writers or doc with the cons. But But you're doing this just, out of pure passion. So what drove you to, to write these reviews? Yeah, I, I think I have in common with everyone else that I'm a voracious reader and I always have been. 
So there was a couple of things that came together about 10 years ago that really launched me into being, you know, wanting to be a book reviewer per se. And so the first thing was that uh, I had a friend, his name was John J. Riley. I actually host his blog on mine because he died unexpectedly in, in 2012. And he had the most interesting book reviews on his website. I loved reading them. You know, so like he was an inter internet friend, you know, I struck up a conversation with him via email and then, you know, yeah, found out, you know, that he was, had died and nobody knew what had happened. And so then the other thing that kind of, that happened at about that same time is that I went through a process of discovering what kind of books I liked and what kinds of books I didn't. And it took me a long time to kind of figure it out. There had been an extended period of time when I just try a new author, couldn't find something I like, tried this other author. You know, I was just flailing in the world of books. You know, and this would have been you know, the, the early 2000s. It, but then I started to, to kind of figure out what it was that made books I liked something that I would enjoy reading. And as I learned more about that process, I got real passionate about, I want to talk about this. I want to explain this. I want to make it clear that this is what kind of book this is. This is how these stories work. This is why this is interesting. And, you know, it just grew from there. I, I've read a lot of yours personally, your views. It's somewhere between an academic dissertation like you'd write in college and just like uh, in a regular book review you see on like, I don't know, like a Goodreads or whatever, you sort of blend the two very well. You definitely feel smarter reading them. So, so well done. Oh, of course, thanks. I will, I will warn you because we're going to link to your stuff in the show notes. Dear listener, he uses big words. So you might, you know, if you're, if you're a grunt like me, you might want to just keep the dictionary handy. <laughs> it helps. What about you, Doc? So you, you've recently uh, started doing book reviews over on, on TikTok with the uh, the Dragon Con stuff. So what made you decide to actually start doing that on your own, separate from the podcast? Are you there, Doc? Looks frozen. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we put her to sleep. It's always possible. All right. Well, then we'll just let her come back. So, oh, there we go. Let me scroll up to the next question then. So what is it to, like, sometimes when you're doing reviews, you want to be honest with the reader. Like, you know, I'm doing this because they're paying me or I'm doing this because I got the book free. But how do you personally, when you get your books, how do you generally acquire them? Is this something you're just buying on your own? Is it the author providing it? And it just any of you feel free to jump in. Uh, well, Upstream, um, before we moved over to Substack, we had a website that eventually got taken down by uh, WordPress malware, um, where we had a contact form where you could just sort of submit through the site. And um, w once uh, we had kind of generated enough of a, uh, a reputation and word of mouth that now we kind of just get spontaneous submissions through email, um, always like with eARCs and stuff like that um but we we've been lucky enough to i guess get a, enough of a readership and an email newsletter base that that people kind of know know about us a little bit uh now okay um now that you're back doc i, I i'll go back to the last question real quick and then we'll, we'll circle back what made you decide to take your book reviews outside of what we were just doing for our podcast and to do them on your own over on TikTok? 
Well, okay. Well, first of all, I worked as a Barnes and Noble sales associate for a while and I got really good at getting quick feedback about books, which sounds like a non sequitur, but it's not because if you only have three minutes to give a book review and a one-on-one -on -one talking situation, it becomes much more important to be quick about that. So you get used to referring to things like tropes and age groups and because you're talking to somebody and trying to get them to understand what it is, particularly because we're going into the holiday season, or I think maybe this is airing right around or afterwards, you don't have a lot of time to tell somebody, this is the book, this is why you want to buy it, or this is why you might not want to buy it. Not to ever turn anybody away from a book, but sometimes you're looking at somebody and going, this book that is super popular right now is really not meant for your age group that you're looking for type thing. And that's, that's important as a sales associate. Um, the, when I worked at Barnes and Noble, it was selected as like the most trustworthy book, uh, company in the United States at the time. And that was because so many people read books and we got really good at doing them. And then, um, I got into doing the reviews on TikTok cause, uh, I hate writing. <laughs> I get very intimidated by writing and uh, it's easier for me to speak. Go figure. Uh, anybody who's been trapped in a conversation with me can probably vouch for that. And, uh, and I know how important it is for authors to get reviews. And so this way it's much easier for me to pick up a phone and do like a th 30 minute, three minute video on why I like a book and why it's important than it is for me to, type it out and um and it gets us gets into a different audience than our podcast is doing and stuff stuff like that so some of it was just branching out and trying it and i figured if the likes of john hartness could figure it out it can't be too impossible fair fair so the next question we'll, we'll go back to that uh, michael asked how do you acquire the john, books that you're reviewing All right, Jody. So, how when you when you were doing your reviews for um, for Galaxy was it Galaxy's Edge magazine? Galaxy's Edge, yeah. So, well, how did you guys get the books that you reviewed? Well, first and foremost, um, I Shahid forwarded to me uh, and Bill the some of the books that we were receiving that he was receiving for his uh, previous reviewer. So we informed them, usually there's an email contact someplace that we were now the new book reviewers. So please send your offerings to us. We, we started to get mailings from them. And once it becomes known that you're doing book reviews, agents and publishers, uh, public relations person and other people will start to send you queries or sometimes just outright send you books. We, we would get things in the mail constantly. Uh, we were getting uh, Bain books for review, uh, Ace books for review. And for many of the publishing houses, they now don't want to send physical books. So they would send you a link to an e-copy, which was just fine because many of these books we don't ever want to read again once we have read them for the review. And that's fair. That's, that's fine. Um, I'm still getting emails for people who would like to have their books reviewed by us, even though we haven't done it for some time, I forward all of those <laughs> to the current reviewer for Galaxy's Edge, Richard Twedick. And 
it's great for people who love books because you get more than you can possibly handle in any month or any period. Galaxy's Edge is published every two months. So six, over the course of 60 days, we would get a lot of books to review and we would have to choose how many we would handle. And the others frequently got donated to shelters or libraries or anybody else who, who would want them. And if we didn't want to keep it, also same thing. But anybody who starts to do reviews, you're going to start to hear from people who have books that they want you to review. Individual authors will also come to you and say, I'd like you to consider reviewing my book. What most of them really say is, I've got a book. I want to send you a copy. I want you to review it in the magazine. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's very hard to review a book for a friend. I don't know if you, any of you have had the same problem, but the the friendship, they they, they want to lean on you and say, you know, we're, we're good friends and I could really use a good review. So not only am I expected to read it, but I'm also expected to like it and tell every, tell the world that I like it. So just like I hate to hire friends for jobs, and I, I hate to be hired by a friend to do a job. The same thing goes for book reviews. Mm -hmm. Pass it along to someone that, you know, Steve over here would really love to read your horror book because actually I don't like horror stories. So he would be a much better choice than I would. <laughs> so you end up doing things. Yeah, that, that uh, genre match is important. You can tank a book by getting readers that aren't in your genre to read your book and not like it because they don't like that genre. Uh, it's not something people think about when they start begging for those reviews. <clears throat> it might have been a mistake I made. Um, so so what about you, Ben? How do you get the books that you're reviewing? Is it something the authors send you? Or are you buying them yourself, the library? How do you how do you get the books? I mean, any and all of those sources. You know, so I've certainly used my personal library or things that I've just acquired because I like it. You know, sometimes I'll I will search things out through a library in case that's, you know, I, I don't feel like buying a book at this point or I'm relatively certain I don't want to keep it. Uh, I'm rather proud of my library. So what goes in there matters a lot to me. But, uh, you know, I'm also somewhat space limited. You know, I think I've got eight or nine hundred books in the house right now. And that's oh, really, God. By, by some standards, that's not a lot. And by some standards, that's way too many. So it just depends on who you ask, I think. Yeah, Don't so, worry if you're uh, going to move. I'm a little, I'm a little space limited on that. Yeah, moving all those books would suck. I want to interrupt just for a moment to include something I just forgot. Netgalley.com. You can sign up if you are a mm. reviewer, and they have up and coming books. Some of them only a month away. Some of them six months in the future. Mm. And in many, many, many genres, you sign up for the ones you can, and you explain who you are. If you are a reviewer, and you sign up you'll get more chances of being approved for uh, getting a review copy of a book that you want to read. If you have a place that you can put up a review that will do the publisher and the author some good. So NetGalley is a great uh, location for getting brand new books, the ones that are just about to come out. And if I'm not mistaken with uh, NetGalley on the author side, if I understand correctly, they have to make a pretty substantial commitment financially to get their work listed isn't that also correct so there there may be a little bit of a quality higher quality that that gets internet gala do you think well they're only they're only and i'm going to say this and, I, and i'm sorry for the way it comes across real publishers uh like generally legacy publishers 
Um, oh, okay. St. Martin's, um, Simon and Schuster, Ace, uh, Berkeley, the the ones that have an established legacy. I okay. haven't seen small press on there yet, uh, except. I apologize. I don't know uh, um, why I was under the impression that li like individuals could list their, their books on there. Uh, I Kelly, I don't know. Thought I, I had seen a video or something, but but maybe I'm wrong. Okay. So never mind. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so Ben, so so you you just uh, you you find them in all the places. Is there any unusual place you found a book that you reviewed? Oh, that's a good question. I th I think there might have been a few I've stumbled across. You know, like like I saw it at somebody else's house, or like I found it in the trash. Like there there's definitely been at least a couple that were like that. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but it, it's also mostly the usual ways. You know, like I've certainly got relationships with some independent publishers you know when silver empire still existed i had a relationship with that publisher where they gave me copies of their books and i reviewed them and you know, like you know i liked a lot of their stuff so i was pretty happy to do that you know you know so it, it's a real mix for me some of them are things that a publisher will send to me an individual author will send to me you know, like i get the random emails as well and, you know, and, and then there's been things like you know, here's something I want to go seek out, you know, especially when I'm trying to round out a, like a specific bit of genre history, I'll often go looking for a specific author. You know, I want to go read this book because it influenced these other authors and uh, and I'm going to go do a historical retrospective. So there's, there's a little bit of everything across the board. Okay. What about you, Steve? I know you, I mean, you once read what 200 book reviews a year one at one point in time. I remember you saying once yeah. that can't be cheap if you're buying all of them. So how are you acquiring the books uh, that you were reviewing? Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, it was, you know, by hook or by crook, right? Like, like it was whatever, it was whatever I had in, in, in the beginning. Like you can say you're a reviewer, but no one's going to believe you and no one cares. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it was just it was just writing reviews based on books that I liked or uh, in the very beginning, um, really big books that I hated. And, uh, you know, if the author was enormous um, and had like their own gravity, well, it doesn't matter what you say. Right. Right. Like, but if but a few tiers, just a few tiers down from that, it, it matters what you said. And, you know, I adopted the the don't say don't say mean things uh, rule later in life, especially once I realized <laughs> that I was getting in front of people that I liked. Doc, you're muted. You muted. Sorry. Constructive versus <laughs> negative are two different things. Oh, indeed. But I was negative. Always understand that. Because <laughs> I hate everybody. Equally. I can I can relate to that. I can relate to um, that. But uh, so I just started with whatever. Right. Um, and, the, you know, I, I'd either buy the books at the time I was working at a Walden books. And so I could borrow any book I wanted and I could, uh, you know, I could I could easily get at a massive discount some other books. And so those were the good old days. Uh, but after that, I went to a couple of conventions, introduced myself and pretty quick uh, told them I was a reviewer, showed them the website and then. Uh, pretty much every publicist under the sun contacted me. And so I had, I mean, like the 38 publicists that Tor had at the time, they all contacted me at once, you know, Orbit, Bain, um, wow. you know, Ace Rock, whatever. 
St. Martin's. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then of course, you know, uh, very, very, very occasionally Daw. Um, but, and at the time Pyre was still a big deal and they mattered, um, back when Lou Anders was there and, uh, and they basically were hungry for reviewers. And so they sent me a catalog and they just said, well, how many of each of our books do you want? I'm like, I only need one. Uh, but they, they literally sent me a box of everything of their entire catalog. Nice. Um, (laughs) Book slut in me is very jealous right now. It was I was awesome, thinking the same you know? thing. You know, it it was it was great. You know, I got a bunch of you know had had a bunch of old Mike Resnick books and stuff from when he published with them, and you know a bunch of the you know Joe Abercrombie's or you know his 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 stuff. Their whole deal was they were starting to publish stuff from over in the UK, over in the US initially, and so I was I was reading all that stuff. You know, James Barclay, uh, Joe Abercrombie, and Tom Lloyd and, and these guys who were just amazing, amazing authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would read all those. And then at, at a certain point, you kind of get critical mass and you snowball all the way down the hill. And then next thing you know, like you look like a hoarder from, from a movie and, <laughs> and you've, got just, you've just got just like stacks of books everywhere. Um, you know, they, so, they so send you point? the, they send you the, like the uncorrected proof. Right. And then, the book would publish and then they'd send you the final copy. And so I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with both of these? Like, well, I don't know I what mean, to do anymore. Some of David Weber's final copies were very different. than the original. Oh yeah. But you know, and, and so I would, uh, so I ended up donating a lot of books or, or whatever. Um, so many books, like thousands of books um, I ended up donating. So- so when did your wife hit critical mass and say, no, you're going to give some of these away? Like, was it a oh, thousand, like, 15, like 15 minutes in, like 15 minutes in, <laughs> you know, yeah, she's, I understand she's, that like, in there. she's like, oh crap, we got to move. This sucks. In fact, uh, when I moved into this house that I'm in now, um, I hadn't done a really good purge of, of books. I still had, I mean, this was only like eight years ago and I still had tons of books from, from this, from this review stuff, which I haven't done in a long time now, but, um, uh, Larry, Larry Korea was helping me move. And after that, he's like, dude, it's a good thing. We're friends. He's like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> Boxes of books are the worst part of any move. They're so freaking yes. heavy. Oh I mean, it was, God. it was, it was like a hundred boxes of books just filled and filled and filled. When we moved, my husband packed all the boxes. We gave to SO before we left. Uh, we packed onto the truck 330 boxes of books. And when we got here, we gave a lot to one of the public libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've acquired more. It just keeps happening. So yeah. a, a friend of mine used to open Borders bookstores. I, I said, we're moving the equivalent of a small public library. And she said, how many boxes? That would be 37 skids. No, you're moving the equivalent of a medium-sized public library. Wow. <laughs> that's that's I'm I, kind of jealous, Evan though. So. Evan for a book lover, right? Yeah. So I've never actually – so I've always just bought my own reviews or used Kindle Unlimited or or my Audible credits when, when that was still, you know, in the budget. And I haven't yet – I guess I haven't reached critical mass because no one has ever said, hey, I'll give you a free book if you review it. Um, but I, I just – I do what's in my genre because that's what I like to read anyway. So what about you, Doc? How did, before we play the commercial, how did you uh, acquire the books you did for your book talk? 
Um, talk, so talk, whatever. A lot of them are books that I have read already or were given to me. So in actually very sweet. Oh, there she is. Uh, all right. So there goes her internet again. She really needs to get fiber optic and, and none of this like tin can thing she's doing. But in the meantime, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man. Thank you, Steve. The war between Al Masia and the Empire of Colacolvia is in its hundredth year. Casualties grow on both sides as the conflict leaves no corner of the world untouched. Alarian Glaskov's quiet life on the fringes of the Empire is thrown into chaos when an impossible tragedy strikes his village. When he is conscripted into the Tsarist military, he is sent to serve in The Wall, an elite regiment that pilots suits of armors made from the husks of dead golems. But the Great War is not the only, or even the worst, danger facing Alarian as he is caught in a millennia-old conflict between two goddesses. He must survive the ravages of trench warfare, horrific monsters from another world, and the treacherous internal politics of the country he serves. Servants of War, New Military Fantasy by Master of Horror Steve Diamond and international bestseller Larry Correa. Available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. So, um, <laughs> I had to use that ad, Steve. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. So I can get behind an ad like that every day. <laughs> yeah. The funny one is the one Bane sent me where they mispronounced Bane and they said bean. The, the narrator. <laughs> I actually used that commercial. It was the, uh, it was, uh, Larry Korea's, um, gun, gun runner. I think the oh, one with, uh, uh, John Brown and Tony was on the episode. We aired that and she started laughing. It was hysterical. How do you stay bean? I, I don't know. So, hey, the commercial was otherwise awesome. So I say we just leave it and people that know will laugh and people that don't will never know. Um, so we've talked about like what we review and sort of how we get them. Do you guys feel that it is important to disclose to your, your reviewing public, the, the people that are reading the reviews, where those books came from in transparency? Or do you just, you know, I, this is the book. This is my review. You know, I know I for do. me, I always tell them. I always say I, I bought it. I always it. say this is where I got it from. You know, uh, right up front with with the readers that I had, with the 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 reader base that we had for Elitist Book Reviews, we just we always just said, hey, look, we're we're not getting paid for any of this, but you know, we're getting comp the copies. So publishers are sending them to us, sending them to us, or maybe the author is, uh, and that's all we say. Like, there's no use belaboring the point. Um, I mean, if if you are ha if you do happen to be getting paid, like it's like a paid sponsorship for some reason, yeah, you, you better disclose that. But otherwise, most people don't care. Okay, what what about you, uh, Jody? You guys were actually getting paid for the reviews, but not by the review, not by the authors, right? It was a very small sum. Uh, <laughs> the, clearly, the the free books were one of the means of remuneration. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that we ever reviewed a book that was already in our library. <laughs> copies, like I said, that they came from everywhere. They came from various publishers. They came from publicists. They came from fellow authors. Uh, and some were passed along to us from Galaxy's Edge's office because they arrived there instead of on our doorstep. Uh, as, as we were employed contractually by the magazine, I don't think anyone cared uh, where we got them from. 
Okay. What about you, Michael, for your upstream reviews? Do you guys uh, buy those yourself? No, we, uh, we, um, I don't think we, we, uh, I don't believe we disclosed if we got like a free e arc or something from, um, Bane's always been very generous with their arcs, um, to a fault almost. <laughs> Um, but, but like we've we've always said very upfront, like yes, you, you can give us books. There's a submission form, you know, just fire away. We'll take it. And um, uh, we we weren't with a magazine or anything. We were just the site as it was, and and people just kind of. Uh, I would sort of. It was kind of like more of a private thing where we would tell the authors if it was like an individual author, like look if. If we don't like the book, we're not going to post a review because we don't want to tear anybody down. But, you know, just know if you don't hear anything. Um, and I've actually only ever had uh, one person email me back asking where their review was. But, um, yeah, it was pretty upfront and uh, nobody ever really uh, uh, was too curious about it. <clears throat> okay. Um, I... Yeah, that works. So now the next question we're going to get into deep. So do you guys, you've, you've mentioned that, um, Jody, that you got some of yours before they were published, but is that the norm for people? Are you guys getting your pre-published yeah. books? Or yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's the whole idea. We, every publisher wants a big first day because these are all yeah. reported to like the New York Times and it matters to have a big day. So a favorable review that is out there early will help drive uh, the sales for the first day. They really want to have at, at least the first week for the, for the day it gets reported. There are shockingly few bookstores that are on the New York Times list from which they compile it. Mm -hmm. And they want the most sales that they can get in that first week. So NetGalley and other things like that are very important. And when editors send the books out to reviewers they they want those reviews on the street before the book actually hits or concurrently with the first day of publication okay now is that only an option for the print or ebook or do they do that for audio as well i couldn't say okay it, yes, sir. generally it was all kind of at the same time um you know i the goal of most publishers is to have the audiobook released at the same time as the as your as your dead tree copies, right, or your e copies, um, but rarely did I receive any any audiobooks to review. Uh, it was almost always just the you know the regular books. We right? never did. Yeah, I, I I did a couple times, but it was a little weird, and I never I never went that route. I always felt I don't know. I felt like I was having to review. They were adding an extra variable to the mix when they did that. Because no matter how good right. the book is, if the if the narrator's garbage, then the book's garbage, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, we always got our we always got our books well ahead of time. Um, sometimes months and months ahead of time. <laughs> but uh, with places like Tor, and if I remember, who else? There were a couple places that had pretty strict embargoes. That they said, you know, try not to post this review until two weeks before the publication date at the earliest because like jody said they want they want maximum impact all at once um 
And so oftentimes you would have uh, a review and then you would have an interview with said author kind of hit it the same day so that every kind of everything kind of hit together. Um, that was always the best. Uh, but yeah, I get, you know, getting the books well in advance was nice. Um, that, that, that was a pretty sweet perk. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot better than getting like the new Joe Abercrombie book, like three months ahead of time. And you're like, suckers, I already read that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So when, when we're writing those reviews, do you guys feel like there's an optimal, optimal length for the reviews? I've seen some that are sort of like, a paragraph, which to me seems woefully inadequate. And then mm-hmm. mine has sometimes been 5,000 words. <clears throat> um, so is there is there like a, a sweet spot, you think, for length for these reviews? I think more than a few paragraphs, uh, you're going to start losing people. Give them your impression. Give them a, an idea of the plot. Tell them what kind of genre it is. You're, you're really, it's a, it's a selling copy. So you, you want it to be like an advertisement in a way of what is it you loved about it? What is it that will interest the reader? What kind of reader is going to be attracted to it? And we also put in our reviews what kind of age group it would be appropriate for because we would get young adult and middle school books as well sometimes. Uh, there, there were books that were very much all, all weapons, all shoot them up, uh, Larry's fans would have loved them, or this is something that uh, Patricia Briggs fans would like. They're not usually the same market, and that's that's fine. Trying to find the right people who would enjoy the book and give them enough information to go with that. Rarely did a book merit an essay of two or three long pages. Okay. Uh, what about you, Michael? Um. I don't think I could write a review at less than a thousand words with a gun to my head. Um, but, but one of the nice things about ha- how we did things at upstream reviews is we kind of divided um, like basically like five different categories, the more or less a plot synopsis, the characters, the world, the politics, and who would like this book. And so in there you get kind of two, 300 word chunks that are a lot more manageable at once. And if, if something I thought was just really exceptional, I think the biggest review I've ever written was something like 1800 words that that's really going on. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, somewhere around about a thousand, 1200 words divided up into about five or six different uh, parts. Okay. Uh, What about you when you were writing, Steve, were you, how, how long were yours? I don't think I've ever read any of your reviews. Oh, that's fine. You don't need to do any of that stuff. Uh, those those reviews are those reviews are old times. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was probably, gosh, it was probably right around the same as Mike's. Like, um, you know, if if I uh, if I got really really excited or enthusiastic about something, that review would get long just because I couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I got so excited about it or whatever. You know, you you know, I I read like the, I remember reading um, the last few Stephen Erickson novels in the Mollison series, and I just thought, and and I was just so like I was so beyond in to those books that that I just couldn't stop talking about them. Um, or if a book 
kind of came out of nowhere and surprised me. Uh, like I loved, I loved talking about those sorts of books. Um, or if I hated the novel, um, man, I could, I could go on for ages. I could go on for ages about that book, um, for better or worse. Um, but in general, probably right around the the thousand word mark was where I tried to hit. Mm -hmm. And, and like Jody was talking about, um, you know, we talked, you know, a little bit, you know, why we did or didn't like the book. Um, usually why we did like the book, why we thought it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, the random stuff about characters and stuff. But then at the end, we always had a little block where we talked about, um, who it was recommended for, whether we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, like a specific audience or mm -hmm. we talked about, um, you know, like, like, okay, what age? Should, do we think you should be? Um, what kind of content is there in terms of language, violence, and sex? Right. Uh, we put all those in, and at first we got some grief about it, but but I think people really started to to like that because it gave them within, I mean, e each thing was just a line, you know, all four of those categories, age, mm -hmm. language, violence, sex, and we, we just put it in there, and people really gravitated towards that um, it gave them a really quick thing. Didn't matter whether didn't matter whether or not they actually cared about any of those ratings, right. but it just kind of primed the pump. And they knew what they were getting into, one way or the other. Didn't matter whether they liked it or not. It was good. It was nice. Okay. What about you, Ben? I've read so a lot of yours are a little bit on the longer, but you you tend to look at some of the philosophical uh, underpinnings that you took from the stories. I do. Um, do you have Do you have an optimal length when you're writing yours? It's more of a feel thing than a specific word count that I'm really aiming for. You know, I mean, I, I probably vary somewhere in the the 500 to 2,000 words. Like, there's been some that have been real long. You know, and you know, I was thinking about it while everyone else is talking, and I'm a I'm not a very effective cog in the corporate advertising machine if the objective is to move a lot of books. You know, because a, a lot of time, you know, I suspect I do lose a certain amount of the audience. You're like, I'm not writing a book review all the time with the audience of kind of the broader public in mind. You know, sometimes it's just me and this is what I think about, you know, and, and if I wanted to reach that broader audience, I would have to adjust my voice and I would have to adjust my length to compensate. But I don't want to because that's not what I'm doing. You know, what I'm doing is, is something that's kind of a blend of that more marketing style book review that, you know, the world depends on, it, the world of authors and publishers really depends on to get to get word out. And me just wanting to play with ideas and explore things and talk about stuff that I think is really awesome. And then sometimes that tends to get a little long. And, and, and you know, I've certainly had people I know read a book review I've written and tell me, man, Ben, I had no idea what you were talking about. It was really cool that yeah i don't know <laughs> okay Dude, so let's um, talk like, you have like picture references in your reviews i do i, I love heavens. finding just the right image to illustrate the concept i'm talking about you know it's i'm a physicist you know i went to school Man. for physics and math you know like you know it's kind of funny that, that i review books for fun you know but yeah, you know, I like being able to visualize a concept. And so I, I will spend as much time searching for the perfect image as I will writing it. Freaking mm. overachiever. I uh, love pictures. Uh, actually, it, Jared, it worked, do you mind though. if I 
Do you mind if I pose a quick question to the other? Uh, Not at all. Guess here, I, I'm just really curious about you guys. How far into a book will, will you get give a book before you decide, hmm. you, you know, if you're going to go ahead and do a review or if you say, okay, I've given this thing enough of a chance, I'm just going to cut bait and DNF it here. How, how long does an author have before they, they've lost you or they have a chance to keep you? Hmm. For me, it's the first chapter. Like if you haven't hooked me in with the premise or the style or anything like that of the characters, if I don't care about the characters of the story by the end of the first chapter, I'm probably done. If I've got a big pile waiting for me, I mean, I've I've always got a big pile waiting for me, so <laughs> I, I probably tend to the shorter side myself. And I mean, I think I would probably give an author at least till the till the first chapter. But I, yeah. I you know, the reality of it is you know, a really good book often hooks you in the first paragraph yeah, or even the first sentence. You know, there's some great mm -hmm. examples in the world of that. Oh yeah. You know, but, but you know, I won't necessarily, I'm not going to cut somebody loose over a paragraph. That's not right. That's not how I do things, but if mm -hmm. it's not picked up by the end of the first chapter, you know, I agree with you, Michael, you know, that's probably when I'm going to put that aside and go, go look for something else. So, so what about you, Steve? What, what is your, your line? Oh man, I, I don't, when I reviewed books, cause my, my stance now is, is slightly different, but when I reviewed professionally, whatever the freak that means, um, it did that, that line, that line was in the sand. It, it changed every book every day. <laughs> um, because I tried really hard to even if even if say the first chapter wasn't engaging to me mm. i had to ask myself okay well i'm reading this book am i being fair if i just chuck this book over my shoulder mm. or can i read this book and figure out who's it's like who its primary audience actually is and then figure out how to recommend the book to that audience um yeah. and and that did a couple things for me one i think it made me a better reader because uh, it it, it kind of rounded me out. You know, I mm. uh, you guys know this from from getting like review copies, but sometimes like the the advanced manus the advanced bound manuscripts, ABMs, they're like it's just a blank cover with like words on it that says like book, you know. <laughs> it's, and it's the no frills edition. <laughs> yeah, and and you get those, and sometimes you don't you have no idea what those are, uh, <clears throat> and and you have this giant pile of books and. You know, sometimes the you look at a cover and you're just like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not even reading that. Screw that book. Or you get the ones you're like, oh, sweet swords and stuff. Yay. And then you read right. those ones. But then you get the like, like the, the advanced band manuscripts were like, it was like a blind box. You're not never quite sure what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So I would read those on occasionally. Just I wouldn't read the back of it. I wouldn't read anything about it. And I just start. Yeah. And I, I discovered an author who who i love that way and and i became friends with her Her name's marie brennan um and i read this book and i was not the target audience um mm -hmm. it was like fairies and stuff and and i'm not that guy uh unless they're eating you right um <laughs> but i'm not that guy uh and so but i read the book and i loved her way of writing and i loved everything about it and i think if i would have gone into that book knowing what it was about 
um, and just read the first chapter and said, oh, well, this isn't for me, I would have missed out on something. Uh, and so I, mm-hmm. I give authors a lot of grace that way. Mm-hmm. And because just because I don't like it doesn't mean someone else will. And now as an author, I have to hope that that reviewers out there are doing the same for me, that even they'll say, oh, well, you know what? The, you know, this this weird, dark horror military fantasy thing, that's not really my thing. But, you know, I'll read it anyway and give it a shot. And, and maybe I can figure out who it, who it, who its audience is. Right. And so that, that, that was my thing. I, I don't know. Maybe that's a little too touchy-feely for a horror guy, but whatever. So, I, so when I do mine, because I'm paying for all of mine, because I haven't reached the point where anyone's sending me free stuff, which is fine. Um, I tend to give it whatever that care. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> that would be my first. I, I tend to give it that 10% sample that you get on, on Amazon because before I buy it, I tend to read that. So that works mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I figure if you haven't got me in 10% of the book, because I know it's an exact percentage over on Amazon, then I figure, you know, I probably am not going to like it. So I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little more forgiving if it's on Kindle Unlimited because it's sort of like a digital library, but since I've had to cut that out, I've, I've found books that weren't in the system that I'm enjoying as much. So I'll probably just stick with the, the first chapter. That's that's not uh, a bad question. I wish I thought of it, Michael. Um, I, so, I'm here to hijack the stream. Absolutely. You're doing great. You're doing great. So how do you grade them when you write yours? Do you just use the five-star system that everyone uses or do you have some gradient thereof? How are you guys reviewing them? Like what what scale are you using? Basically, if it appears on the site, we thought it was good. We don't really have a specific um, scale or rating system now. Okay. It's more nebulous. Uh, it was like, it's a tough thing to quantify, awesome? you know? It, it, oh, yeah. 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 It's like, do we think it's awesome? Cool. Like, yeah, do we think it's, do we think that it's like going to cause our eyes to bleed? Then, you know, that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, you know, I, I it's stopped horror, reading. That, I might stopped be a, reading. that might be a bonus. I know. Like, yeah. And I don't mean, too. you know, good way, bad way, eyes bleeding, just kind of depends, right? Um, so, yeah, for 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 us at Lita's Book Reviews, back when I was there, it was it was books we thought we – books we loved, books we thought were okay, and books we didn't like. Like, mm. that was it. Yeah. Nothing nothing crazy. Okay. <clears throat> we didn't what about you, Ben? Oh, you didn't use the system, Jody? No, we no. If it, if it appeared in the column, it was it was uh, favorable. Okay. What What about you, Ben? How do you, How do you um, categorize those when you're reviewing them? You know, I've I've tried a few different things. You know, I tried Star Systems for a while, but I found that I didn't really like it. You know, it, it didn't get at what I wanted to talk about. So for the most part, I've abandoned it. Mm-hmm. Although weirdly, I do maintain the, the the zero to five star system for short stories. And I don't know why I do that, but I like doing it for short stories for some reason. But I, I don't do it for anything longer than that. And so that's just a kind of an idiosyncrasy of my style for some reason. But for the most part, you know, it's similar of if I'm talking about a book, it's because I find it interesting. Every so often, it's like, I hate this book, but it's interesting. Or this book was really boring, but it was still interesting, which sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, like, what does a boring yet interesting book have? What is that like? The, the, well at World's End, book. the Well at World's End by William Morris. Um, Fantasy I'm book written, <laughs> written 100 years ago. And the style is incredibly painful. 
by my standards, but it's okay. just it's just written in a completely different idiom. And if yeah. you can, it, it's kind of like what Steve was getting at. If you can get your brain into this is why this made why? sense and you can read it and understand. And then I read that book and I'm like, oh man, there's like 50 authors I've read who read this book and thought it was cool and, and wrote something based on their experience of reading this. That's mm. why I read this book. Yeah. But like, yeah, if you gave that book to like a, a random fantasy reader today, they'd be like, what is this? And chuck it. But like, right. yeah, but you, no chance. No chance. It's it's slow. So yeah. slow. But that's just how they wrote books back then. Yeah. I've uh, two, two or three times I remember I've slogged through like 100 pages of a book that either was, was like mostly really well written or had an amazing premise or a great first chapter and then just fell off a cliff before I, I just finally had to decide I can't do this anymore nothing's going to happen and and then I've, 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 uh, I've so yeah I guess we've all kind of had those books where it sort of dragged us for a while <laughs> books longer than we Dude, I've read a series like that um, yeah you got your coat caught in the car door and it just dragged you along <laughs> there, there are too many times reviewing books actually was good training for me for what i'm doing now with the writers of the future contest because so many of the books that we looked at uh that were rejected for review were mm. what i what we now call fail, failure to launch mm. because it took so long. If it if it takes longer than the first chapter, I am not going to even bother to write a review of it. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. And one I call uh, prose versus plot, where okay. they are so in love with their storytelling style that it completely obscures whatever they were trying to get at. Now, I understand that if I'm reading a, hist uh, a novel that was written in history uh, or written in the style of that, uh, like mm -hmm. George S. Hare, or... Uh, Master and Commander, authors escaping uh, my mind right now. Oh, uh, Patrick O'Brien. Patrick, Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. They are meant to sound like they were from. Supposed history. to be like that. Right. Yes, they're supposed to be like that, and I'm going to ride with that. But if it is somebody who is fell in love with their thesaurus and cannot leave it alone, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you you have to walk away from it. It's just not going to be of interest to as many people. As the publisher hopes it will. I don't. I don't want to have to fight to figure out what's going on. It sounds like something that, that has another has another podcast with an editor of mine named Eric Postma. He. Uh, it sounds like what he would call well written crap. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about sort of what we put in the reviews, your, your thoughts on it. How do you guys feel about spoilers in your reviews? Do you avoid them like the plague or Ooh. are you shamefully willing to put them in? I'm shameless. Uh, or shamelessly, I should say. I, I will, I will spoil the stuff out of a book if I feel like it. And I have, I have a, like, I don't want to ruin a book for anybody. Like I know that some people really want to like experience those things for the first time. And I try yeah. to respect that, but yeah. just, the way I talk about books, it works a lot better sometimes if I can spoil it. So there's there's actually been cases where I've written two reviews. There's the spoiler-free one and the spoiler-full one. And the mm -hmm. spoiler-full one is always more fun for me. <laughs> but you know, like I, I try to at least give people a fair warning. But yeah, I'm just going to like lay all this out there. Or sometimes it's the books that, you know, it's 50 years old and I'm going to spoil it. And if you don't know what happens, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger deal if I'm getting something that's like, you know, this is an ERC. It's a new release book. It's coming out in two months. Like, you know, then I feel a little bit differently about ruining it, ruining it for people. Whereas like I'm reviewing a classic of the genre, then I just let it all hang out there so that I have a different policy depending on what kind of book it is. That's okay. fair. That's fair. That, yeah, that, that's a pretty good way of, of doing it. Um, yeah, if it's if it's a new book, I won't spoil anything. I just won't. Um, I, I mean, I, I like that magic too much, and I and I know that readers like that magic too much. But but like you said, Ben, I I agree with you. If if it's something older, then man, like the the whole critical analysis of of why it mattered, why it was important, why I think mm -hmm. it still matters or doesn't matter today, I like. Then you, you gotta talk about you, it. Yeah, you can't you can't get around that without spoiling yeah. it. I I wrote this review for True Grit a while back, um, mm -hmm. a while back, when uh, when the new movie came out, and mm -hmm. I did this weird review where I compared the old John Wayne movie versus the new movie versus mm -hmm. the book, and I talked about the the pluses and minuses to all of it and stuff, mm -hmm. and um, and you can't do that without spoiling what it's about. And I'm like, yeah. look, if you haven't seen the old John Wayne True Grit movie, then I'm sorry. I got nothing for you. Like, yeah, like you can just go away now. That's um, on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the book is older than that. I mean, yeah. good grief. And, and that book is a classic Western. It's one of the best Westerns ever written. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you that, see, that's gotta be one of the only novels that was amazing as a novel and then was amazing as a movie adaptation. And then was amazing again as the second adaptation. I don't know any oh, yeah. other series of adaptations where that, where it's been that consistent. Just, keep, just keeps being awesome. Just, yeah, just was, speaks to the strength awesome. of the story, frankly, when it, yeah, when it goes out. It was always awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Ben. <clears throat> so what about you, Jody? When you were writing your reviews, did you spoil them or did you try to avoid them? We didn't We didn't spoil anything, but we used clickbait. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe. You won't believe what comes next. But we wouldn't spoil because that's not fair. It was before... They were always before the books came out, you know, some, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. And it's not fair to have that magic dispelled. It just isn't. The, the author did such a good job of it. We want them to enjoy it. And if we can lead them quivering to the point just before <clears throat> the fabulous revelation, uh, that, that just, in my opinion, adds to the anticipation, but no spoilers. Let that come later. Okay. Generally, we try not to spoil anything, and I've actually found um, something that I've actually found out fairly recently, and I don't know how true this is for you guys, was that in terms of details, I only really have to give the reader of the review probably the first third or so of the book until the plot really starts to kick in. Hmm. And then after that, you can probably just leave the rest out because by then they kind of know what they're walking into. Unless you like tell them, yeah, there's going to be a sledgehammer of a twist at the end or something like that. Uh, I did a review for a book called Fallen by, by a great debut author named Patrick Abbott. He served in Afghanistan. He wrote this amazing science, uh, military sci-fi book. I can't believe it's a debut novel, frankly, um, that, that wrestles with things like PTSD and all this stuff. And he, he used a bunch of his friends as sort of like influences and, and it's really touching stories. I actually got to talk to him back and forth. Great guy. And, and he really drew out of a lot of some really deep experiences. 
and he wrote this great book and it's 516 pages and I wow. only had to probably, wow. yeah, I know. And it sounds like a doorstopper, but you will fly through it. Um, but I probably only had to reveal characters and stuff from probably the first hundred <laughs> before I, I, I could then talk about like, you know, the strengths of the overall story and, and, and the mega themes of the book and, and leave enough for the reader to get, have, have their appetite wet and not really give too much of the magic away, I think. Okay. That's uh, that's fair. So um, I know we're, we're running tight on time and we're trying to do better at, at time management. I'm failing miserably, but so I'm going to, I'm going to leave us with two questions. So the first one is, do you worry that if it seems like a lot of people's policy these days, or if I don't like a book, I'm not reviewing it. Do you worry that by only having book reviews out there that are glowing, that we're potentially inflating the system? Um, that was Doc's question. I, I wish she was here to better explain what she wanted by that. But she's she's complained a little bit sometimes if you've listened to the show about the way the star system, for example, works on some of the publishing websites, uh, and she thinks sometimes that the, that those sort of inflate the numbers so bad books get favorably rated to a point where people get suckered into buying something they wouldn't otherwise. That's part of why I don't use star ratings. Mm -hmm. Okay, because I I actually do suspect that to be the case you know and in general i think part of my answer to that is that i do sometimes include a more critical review you know and you know and doc talked a little bit about the difference between being negative and being constructive and you know sometimes you do have to be a little bit destructive every so often and i've certainly written a couple of things that were a little spicy you know I definitely remember uh, ruining somebody's day uh, on Twitter about six months ago uh, by trashing a very famous author that he was going to be talking about like on a podcast later that week. <laughs> and I, I felt real bad and I told him sorry, but you know, like, but, but I also, you know, like I, I meant what I said. Right. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Like, I, I, <laughs> right, I didn't right. want well, to the jungle. But I wanted to trash the author. Yeah, but yeah, like now, that, was, to... that was a dead person I was trashing, so it's a little different, right? Yeah. Like, My right, God, uh, Ben. Excuse me. If he so, responds, yeah. you're in trouble. If you're, yeah, if you're, <laughs> yeah. If Bradbury comes and tells me that I'm full of it, I've got other problems. Oh, he can take yeah. it. Bradbury yeah. can take it. His reputation is fine. What I say about him doesn't matter. So, so what about the rest of you? Do you feel like they were potentially inflating? Um, the system that pro a system that might prop up bad books by only reviewing stuff we liked or um, like, what do you guys have thoughts on that? You know, in terms of upstream, I, th I think one of the things we try to focus on is, is, is we, we do review a lot of like, like uh, mass market stuff from like Bain and, uh, and I guess tour and stuff like that. But we, we really try to put a lot of the focus on, good indie authors like people that really need the exposure and could use the exposure and who like a, a good legit review um would really help uh so you know the people that we're trying to to elevate i think are the folks who are are definitely not in danger of of being overinflated to start with hmm. <clears throat> okay well um, i don't know that's a that's a tough question um yeah i th i think I think I can argue both sides of that, which makes it a good question, right? Like, right. like, like I can certainly see how, 
how if we're only ever doing positive reviews, how a book could how a book could could unintentionally or intentionally lead readers astray. I mean, I, I've certainly read books that have these just absurd, like like absurdly good reviews. Now read the book and I'm like, hmm, yeah, I know about that one. That one, that one, this one feels like uh like like some bad reviews got deleted uh mysteriously. <laughs> Those ones mysteriously vanished uh in a boating accident with my with my guns. Um you know so so I don't so I can totally see that. On the flip side though like as an author Brother, give me all those good reviews. Every that's, that's single it. good it, review. You know? And, yeah, and if yeah. those bad reviews get, yeah, and if those bad reviews get lost in the boating accident, good riddance. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm playing both sides on that one. <laughs> so so did you have any thoughts on this, Jody? Absolutely. I don't think that there's going to be a a rebalancing because why would bad books deserve to be reviewed when people's time is short? Mm. It's, it's like uh, the writing excuses podcast, you know, it's 15 minutes because you're busy and that's fine, which I think is intro for any kind of program, but it's the point is, do we do bad books deserve a review in on uh, anything except Amazon. Uh, not everybody deserves a participation trophy. I, I hate the inflation of giving out um, kudos to people just because they showed up. It is an, sure. It's really an insult to them because then they don't have a chance to mature. You know, why, why can't I get noticed? Because we read your book and it still needs work. Uh, you know, if someone was to say to me, did, did you read my book? Yes, I did. Here are the things I liked about it. Other than that, I'm, I'm not going to render them in print because there were things that I, I liked better that I thought deserved the column space. Well, and, sure. and, to, and to even go off that a little bit further, you know, you know, the five of us, you know, or if Doc was here, the six of us, we think about things differently. You know, we either have or had our own sites, and and that's a very different mindset than the Twitter mob, or than random Joe Schmo book reviewer on Amazon who has internet anonymity. It doesn't matter. They're they're going to post their review no matter what, and they're going to be idiotically, stupidly honest. They're going to be like, oh the book wasn't delivered to me in, you know, you know, wrapped by, you know, angelic cherubs delivering it to me with Mountain Dew on the side. Like they're going to, you know, they're just going to, they're just going to, you know, if, if the book arrives so much as a scratch, it's a one-star review, even if they think it's the best book they've ever read. And so I, I, I can argue on the flip side of this and say, while people like us, or more critical and we have our, we have our rules, right? Mm -hmm. um, there for the vast majority of people, there are no rules. It's the wild west. They can do whatever the freak they want and they will. Yeah. And, they and do. so I, I think, I, I do think that in, in some manner, 
it will balance out. Um, okay. Because a lot well, of people on, on the other side, do, do, uh, it's like folks do give a lot of credence to the people who, who write Amazon reviews and yet not, right? Oh, yeah. So, Stranger's yeah. Review. It, it's bad and it's, a, and it's good at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and no. then you get those. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the problem with the Amazon reviews is that they're only looking at the number of reviews that a book gets, not how yeah. good they are or how thoughtful. Oh, and yeah. because they want 50 reviews before they start promoting it, it doesn't matter yeah. what's in the reviews, really. Yeah. And that's, that's we, we are trying to do it on a professional or semi-professional level mm -hmm. based on the fact that we're also writers and yeah. we have read hundreds, if not thousands of books. So oh, yeah. for somebody who says, this is the first science fiction book I ever read. I think it's awesome. I'm giving it five stars, even though it's yeah. the rest of us will look at it and say, mm, needed one more pass through. The what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that sometimes like even uh, this is the difference between being negative and being constructive. We talked about earlier, but sometimes what some people list is a bad thing. Like this had too much cussing. I'm like, wait, okay. Uh, the infantry in me says that's good. Or I had one, like I, if Amazon's <laughs> policy would have let me, the negative review would have been my ad campaign. It's like a 12 year old with ADD wrote gun porn. I'm like, Oh dude, like you can be my manager. Um, so like, I think sometimes, you know, that, that they're so subjective that, that what one person is hating about a book, other people are loving. When we used to do our interviews before we got rid of it, because it's just time consuming. I was, we would talk about with the author about the reviews they would get and we'd pull some of the good and some of the bad and, and talk about themes. And I was always surprised at the number of, you know, this was the part of the book and it made the book horrible. And then somebody else would take that same thing and be like, this is what I loved about it. That, so I happens, think, I think a, that happens a lot with Larry Coria. That happens a lot with Declan Finn, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Larry's, one of Larry's <laughs> favorite reviews was someone, someone told me he wrote like a, like a modern Robert E. Howard. And he's like, oh, sick bird. Yeah, please. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, like that's the best review I've ever gotten. There's a one star. Yeah, thank you. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, like I, I remember. Yeah. I remember one of my reviews said that uh, that my my YA novel residue, they they were complaining because it didn't have enough sex in it. And I'm like, oh my god. Well, that, and that is sweet. the state. That is the state of young adult literature right there. Oh my yeah, god, it's, it's, a, it's a complete. That's a nightmare. that's another fireside chat. That's a whole other fight. <laughs> or, or, you uh, know. Dude, you should totally do that, JR, because, man, block off three but, hours for that, because I'm sure plenty of us <laughs> could have some opinions on YA right now. Well, you know, or or like, like so many of us have said before, reviews become very subjective. Um, you know, for Servants of War, which was the ad that you all heard in the middle of the show, uh, it uh, we, we had like back-to-back -back reviews where one was like, this is the best thing I've ever read, and it's wonderful. And da, 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 da. in the next review, and, and it's like it's like, and it and it was and it was really dark, and it was really violent, but it was hopeful. It was the best thing ever, and I'm like, man, this is great. And then the next review was, eh, wasn't dark enough. Not enough rats eating people. Like, oh, <laughs> oh crap! Wow. Of all like, the books I've ever read in my life, this is one of them. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, All right, so, like, you never know. You just never know. 
so we tend to gear our podcast towards the the consumers of the product. So the listeners and reviewers, or the listeners and readers of science fiction or speculative fiction writ large now. Um, but, you know, we, we do have authors that listen. So is there any etiquette that you think, you know, these people really need to know to do when they're approaching you for a review? I haven't actually been approached yet, but I, I can imagine there have been some entitled horror stories. And then the flip side of someone who did it just right. So what, what is the etiquette, do you think, of someone approaching you to review their book? Hmm. There's a couple of things that people do ask. Uh, when, I, when I was writing reviews and, and even when I wasn't, uh, they, they'll come to you and ask for a review or they'll ask for a blurb. Hmm. And hmm. It's, it's a delicate balance because if you read it and you love it, that makes it really easy. But if you read it and you didn't love it or that you thought that they, they went off the rails or they didn't complete their thought, it's really hard to, to, to handle that. And I, I wish there was a better way to do it than, than say, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't have room in this month's column or uh, I got too busy, I couldn't, I couldn't write you a blurb, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to finish reading the book and, and so on. Even when you want to, sometimes you can't. <laughs> so please be ben, understanding that our time is precious and, and we only get paid if we write books or write reviews. Yeah. Yeah. So understand that maybe there's a reason we can't do the, this thing for you, even if we want to. All right, what about you, Michael? Do you have any uh, recommendations for etiquette if someone wants to approach you to do a book review? I'd be polite, uh, which with indies, you know, a lot of them are, are, are gushingly polite. They're, they're, uh, they're effusively, you know, they want to get their book reviewed. So they're very, um, uh, very accommodating. Uh, however, uh, you know, if, if we've told you, you know, we're only going to review the thing if, if we think it's good and you don't hear back from us in a month, two months, don't email back unless you're ready to, Here's some hard stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had most people haven't. I've had exactly one person do that. And I said, OK, I read 40 pages into your book and there were four lines of dialogue. I'm sorry. This just wasn't going to make it. Oh, and this was a guy. Wow. The book looked like it could have been sitting next to any big five publishing house. Beautifully designed cover, beautifully designed logo for the imprint. I mean, I thought this guy had a deal somewhere like he was just on some off like small imprint or something and and like the the plot was really good he clearly did a lot of his research there were so many things that were like almost there but by the time i reached a point in the story where this guy's wife who we never heard about how they met or dated or fell in love or anything uh he comes home one day and he finds his wife they live in this uh he's like a marine biologist she's and she's a nurse he finds his wife at home and there's a smuggler with a gunshot wound holding her at gunpoint, making her tend to his wounds. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm already bored. There's a 40 pages in. I, I don't care. And so I, I kind of like, you know, as politely as I could, I explained to him why. Usually that's the, first the problems thing. I had with all this. And I said, you know, but good luck and everything. But, you know, it's like if, if you follow up, you're going to you're going to get it, man. What about you, Steve? Was there any way? I mean, you sounds like you dealt with more of the publishers than the authors, right? Uh, it was both. Um, 
you know, that with, with public, with publishers, it was, it wasn't a big deal. They, they kind of understood like yeah, either. Them. Yeah. yeah it, they're just like, yeah, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, if it was the author, then oftentimes an author would petition the publisher to have their book sent to me. And that was always a little dangerous for the author. Not so much for me. Um, they would, I had more hurt some feelings. Oh, I had more than a few times where the, uh, where I would, the author would contact me and say, Hey, my publisher send you my book and da, 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 da. he's for the, from the major publishers. And I'd say, that's great. Cool. Um, if, if, you know, if we really like it, we'll review it. If not, then, um, you know, good luck. And, you know, it probably just wasn't our thing, you know, Mm. It's not you, it's me, sort of a thing, right? <laughs> and uh do you feel like we I, should take that tack though? Like if if they're doing something wrong, shouldn't we tell them? Rather than be like, you know, kind of like hey, I know nobody want, wants to be mean, but like I'm not your editor. Uh, uh, you true, know, fair enough. I, I, I ain't your editor. Um yeah. although in the case yeah. where I'm asked to be, then then you're gonna get it with both barrels. Um and, and the reality is I would always tell people up front in those situations or when, when a small author or an independent author would ask me for, for a review or a, or a critique or whatever. And I would say, I'd say, okay, that's fine. I can do that, but here's what you're going to get. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared for any of these things, then perhaps it's best if I don't read it because my time's valuable. And right. if I feel like you wasted my time, we're going to have an issue <laughs> um, or, you know, and, and I've been burned more than a few times, which is typically why I don't do it anymore. Um, plus, again, I, you know, Tony Weisskopf would probably rather me write a novel or something because, you know, she's my boss. Therefore, I, I captain. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, but but at the end of the day, um, it costs you nothing to be professional. And so it, I, if, there if you you're going to. Yeah. So if that's that's for us as reviewers and for people approaching reviewers that Mm -hmm. that mentality is the same what what about you ben have you been approached by authors and if so do you have any uh any recommendations that that haven't been said i mean by and large you know i'm gonna agree with everything that's already been said you know and i certainly have been approached by individual authors you know and and I, I think the for me the most important things is just kind of really setting those clear expectations like Steve is laying out of like, hey, if you want this, this is what this means. Here's what how this is gonna go down. This is this is what my time is worth to me, and here's how I'm gonna respond to you. You know, so the 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 thing that's I think real hard is that sometimes you know, authors who are trying to break in and they're trying to get some buzz around their book and they'll they'll badger you i think is a word i would use is there because they like they they just want it so bad and they believe believe in this book that they've written and and whether it's good or not is is almost irrelevant you know after i've gotten the 15th or 20th email it's like okay stop like let's t- let's take a step back and, and you know this has gone too far yeah and that that gets a little hard of like trying to 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 walk somebody back from that can be a little challenging sometimes because it, it's really crossed that professionalism line you know you know probably don't even know where the line is anymore at that point what line okay. when, when it's clear that they don't want you to tell them 
what they what you think they want you to tell them how much you loved it yes yep yeah mm. and that's especially hard with friends right jody yeah mm. yes <laughs> that one's rough that one's really rough in those cases i usually just lie one of the worst <laughs> things about criticism that i've i've learned for me is that the stuff that stings is is the is usually where the truth lies and the stuff you really need to listen to and and if you don't develop that as a writer to be able to to take that in and and channel it into something constructive towards your work this just might not be the game for you you know um you'll never get better right, <laughs> you'll right. Never get so better. So I guess I was lucky. My mom was my first drill sergeant and then eight and a half years in the infantry beat out any emotions I had left. So like, just bring it on. I'm, I'm good. But I know some authors I've met are very sensitive creatures. And so, yeah, you do have to, <laughs> to understand sometimes where those people are coming from. But uh, I, I tried to keep it to an hour. I failed by a half. Uh, but before we let you guys go, can you tell listeners where they can find you? And we'll start with you, Ben. Sure thing. Uh, my website is benespen.com. You know, as you can see right here on the screen, it's pretty easy. You look for my name and you'll find me. I'm the only one. And as usual, I will throw all those links in the show notes, dear listener. So if you, if you don't want to write it down and memorize, you just scroll down and check those out. But uh, Jody, what's the best place for someone to find you? You can find me on Facebook, uh, Jody Lynn Nye. And I have a website, jodylynnye.com and jodynye.com. And I think they have obtained for me jodynye.net. So give it a try. It's three Ys and three Ns. <laughs> so go for it. Uh, I, have a, I have a Twitter handle, but I am almost never on Twitter. And with the current Falderall, I, I doubt I'll ever go back. Okay. What about you, Michael? How can uh, listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MissingByline, um, or you can... Uh, uh, reach out to me at upstreamreviews.substack.com where you can see my columns and my body of work and uh, reach me there. Okay. And Steve, what about you? Where can, uh, where can listeners find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Oh, you know, the, the, the face Twitters and the Twitter books and the, and all those places, <laughs> um, the usual suspects, right? Um, you can also, uh, he doesn't want to be found. Me. I know. <laughs> I'm too busy murdering people in my basement or something. Horror author. Uh, research, research. You guys research. have Google. You'll figure it out. Um, you know, or, or uh, you know, you can you can grab me over at the Writer Dojo. Um, we have a special oh, Facebook yeah. group over there. Yeah. And you know that that that's the Writing Advice podcast that that, that, Larry that is a great podcast. Yeah, it is. So, you guys do a great podcast, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's the know, danger, like, I think. I was just gonna say one day, one day my website will be will be fixed and finished. Um, but uh, the guy, the guy building it's having a, he's having a day. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I so I imagine you have a slightly different um, relationship with your readers, given you write horror versus some of the fluffier feel good stuff. Uh, there's a few memes floating around about Stephen King and why he never wants to meet his fans. So I, I, I can sympathize with uh, yeah, with your audience yeah. being a little different than mine. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. Actually, you know, the, the vast majority of my my audience overlaps with Larry's. And so it's all shooty McShootertons and uh, and murder McMurdertons. And so, <laughs> you know, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. But, uh, you know, it's it's all good. Um, it's all good. 
Okay. And you can find us, dear listener, over on our social medias. We have Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. We have a website over at anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech and Tech Blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash Blasters dash and dash Blades, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. Or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Uh, and with that, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the aforementioned Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom, because I like Shooty McShooter face. Uh, thank you guys all for coming. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.